Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast. Today, I have a very resilient guest, Vera Flisher, best-selling author of Meher and Me. And Meher means mother in what language? Or is that your is that your mom's name? It's my mom's name. It oh, actually okay. means God's tender mercies, but yeah. Okay, great, great, great. I'm sorry about that. All right, so... um. So let's get into your origin. Um, you know, I know you were born in London, raised in North India. Now you're in Dubai. So let's just go and just uh, unravel your story on how you became, um, you know, someone that overcame a lot of emotions in your life. You say your father, I read that your father abandoned you, your stepfather rejected you. So I could kind of see how that may have made you feel. And then we're going to go into the other story that's kind of you know that is traumatic not kind of but it is traumatic so let's just start with your origin and then go from there sure um so i live in dubai now as you mentioned and dubai is quite a melting pot of people who come from very different cultures so typically when you meet anyone socially the first question they'll ask you is where are you from um and it's always a little bit of a tricky one because it's do I give you the abbreviated version or do I give you the longer version? <laughs> so for your listeners, the slightly longer version, um, I was born in, in, in London um, and I'm of Parsi origin. So for Parsis, for those that are not familiar, we're Zoroastrian by faith um, and we come from Persia. And typically both your parents have to be Parsi for you to qualify uh, to call yourself a Parsi. Um, but it's a patriarchal society, so the slightly more modern roots of the religion will say if your father's Parsi, it's okay. You can still have the confirmation ceremony to be called a Parsi. So both my parents were Parsi. Um, and then when I was four years old, my mom took me to her hometown in India, Lucknow, to see my maternal grandmother. And we were going to spend Christmas and a couple of months uh, over winter and then go back to London. Um, and when we got to Lucknow and we were there, I went up ahead with a friend of my mother's and my mother followed. Um, and my paternal grandmother called my mother to let her know that my dad had quit his job and he was cheating on my mum. And so my mum made the decision not to head back to London at the time. And what she didn't know, and none of us, I think, knew at the time, she was expecting my brother when she arrived in India. So we stayed and the days became months and we ended up staying there 14 years. So mom put me in school in India um, and I went to the same Catholic convent that she had gone to as well um, and studied in India and grew up there. And then when I was 18, it becomes a decision point because my passport was still British and India didn't do dual nationality. So it was a question of, do I stay and convert my passport to an Indian passport or do I go back to the UK? And I think because in my head as a child, I had always gone to India and it was meant to be temporary. Mm. Um, there was always this sort of leer that London was home and I was going to go back home. So I think for me, it was not really a decision point. It was a given that I would go back to London. Um, and that's what I did. So when I was 18, I went back to London. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, that is not what happened. <laughs> I ended up aged 18 as a trainee in banking. Um, and I've built my career in banking ever since. And I'm still in banking. I live in Dubai now. Um, and I've been here for nearly 23 years. And it's been 
a great home to me and my family here. Oh yeah, I been to Dubai um uh six years ago, and it is a beautiful city. I okay. actually love it. I love how I love how conservative it is too. You know, like you could walk around at yeah. night, you could feel safe. Women could walk around and feel safe. Everybody's protective over the next person. You know, it was it it was just one a wonderful experience versus like me growing up in the inner city in the in the U.S. You know, where yeah. where it's a lot going on. But yeah, so True. um, let's talk about you actually feeling rejected by your stepfather and you know how that felt to you at the time um i think to sum it up not great um because my father wasn't around right my mm -hmm. father had already um and it, this is before social media before telephone calls before video calls so you know the modes of keeping in touch were either handwritten letters or trunk calls. You know, I don't know if you remember those three-minute trunk calls where the operator would say, you've got an incoming call, do you accept it? And it's three minutes, and at the end of the three minutes, your time is up. Um, and my father was in England. We were in India. There wasn't a, a many touch points. And so he wasn't physically around. He wasn't emotionally available, and he wasn't looking after us financially either. Um, and my mother started dating my stepfather, from the age of when I was five years old and they dated for 12 years before they got married eventually. Um, and he's a product of his upbringing as well, right? Yeah. Um, Northern India, it's a, it's a very different cultural um, dynamic going on there. And I think for anybody to not be accepted for who they are, especially as a child, is, is hurtful, right? Because as a child, especially, you don't have any reason to... Um, or there's no reason for an adult to not accept you because you're a child at heart. You're not, you know, knowingly or willingly doing anything to aggravate anyone unless you're just really annoying, which I don't think I was. Um, so I think, it, you know, as a child, you don't understand it also because you don't have the emotional vocabulary to articulate what you're feeling or experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a sense of dejection and there's a sense of, um, not knowing what you could have done wrong, because invariably in India, you know, the adult is right and the child is wrong. Um, so, so it was not not a great experience, I think, as it would be for anyone. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I could I could imagine that. And so, did they um, go on to have kids of their own? And did you like see the contrast between how you were treated versus his children? With your mother? Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Um, and yes. Um, but I think that's the story of the world over, right? It's not It's not typical of me. I think that's just human nature. Um, mm -hmm. And it takes a, a much bigger heart to be able to accept something that's not your own and treat it as your own. So right. I think uh, it's just the way it was. Yeah, that's an interesting point because a lot of people, they tend to think that it's like, you know, something wrong with their people or their race or their culture and other cultures don't do that. But it's interesting to, for me to hear that that's actually happening all the way, you know, across the world with somebody from like a totally different culture, you know. But a lot of us are ignorant to how other people treat people. And it's, it's, it's just interesting because I would I would have never thought that would have happened in a spiritually rich country like india ever 
you know, just because of like what my perception of India and Indians and people in that culture. But it's it's eye opening because it happens a lot within the U.S. and, you know, where I'm from and my people. But like you said, it's a it's not typical. It's a human. It's more like human nature. And we all are human at the end of the day. You know, Correct. I think your people are my people and my people are your people. At the end <laughs> of the day. It's, you know, we're all just people and human and it is human nature regardless of our cultural background and yes we may be taught to be different but I think intrinsically you know um, you're always going to favor your own and Mm -hmm. you have to be a very evolved soul I think to be able to behave differently Um, that wasn't what I encountered yeah yeah and it's it's best for a lot of people to be honest about that like if you know because if you're the type of person that know that you're not able to handle that i wouldn't even suggest people date another person with kids you know because i would hate for you know to for the child to be treated differently so i would suggest i don't even do it if you can't go in it wholeheartedly loving those children as your own and willing to give them what you would give your own child then i wouldn't even i wouldn't even touch it you know (laughs) That's good advice to a lot of people out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so let's go over your mother and daughter relationship, um, you know, with your mother, Meher. And how was it, um, you know, like she's married to this man that rejects you, but you still look at her as a, you know, with the, you had a great mother and daughter relationship. So how were you able to have that? great mother and daughter relationship knowing that she was with the man that rejected you how was that for you so means when we say great i have to put into context and just be super honest that you know it was like any mother daughter we fought we had arguments we tussled mm-hmm. and yet there was this very deep love and as she always said to me when you have children you'll understand the bond between a mother and your firstborn it's, you know one of those things that you can't break, you can't replicate, and nothing else can substitute for it, regardless of how much we might bicker and fight. Um, I think definitely as I got older I um, and more mature, if you like, and had to face life challenges myself, that you then begin to see your mother, not just as your mother, but a human being who was making choices based on the circumstances she found herself in. Mm-hmm. And then you can empathize with some of those choices a little better because you sort of, if you put yourself in that situation and think if I was there at her age with children or these sort of challenges, how might I have reacted in a certain way? And I think, you know, mom and I were, well, I was very vocal and not that my mother wasn't and I got it from her. um, And we had quite an open conversation about the men in her life, if you like, starting with my father and, um, As I write in my book, she was being interviewed once by someone who talked about her being married twice. And she said, yeah, I wake up every morning and slap myself twice, once for the first marriage and once for the second. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) there was an acknowledgement that perhaps the best choices hadn't been made either time. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And I think you come to a point where, you know, you can't rail against something that's very permanent in her life right uh, and you have to just figure out how to navigate it and mom was a bit of a buffer if you like between me and any other influences 
And the kids were the kids who, you know, came with their own energy and, you know, we loved because they were children regardless of um, who their parents might be. So mom and I navigated that. There were tricky spots um, and some uncomfortable conversations that had to be, had to occur um, Mm -hmm. to get us across through it to the point where it was less about the men in our lives or who had come and who had gone and who had stayed and more just about the fact that we were still very much um, mother and daughter and present. Hmm. That's interesting. And so what are some of the um, core lessons that you talk about in your book that um, that will re- that will resonate with people? I know you can't give us it all, but I'm sure there's just a few that you you know you learned when it came to your upbringing and you know because to me you have a very diverse upbringing like i'm sure london was totally different than northern india you know so so like what what lessons <laughs> did you uh did you learn i think india gave me um this amazing sort of fabric of life and understanding of the interdependencies and our um, cultural affinities despite our differences and how we're all human, right? Uh, You may talk about America versus India, but even in India, you've got so many different religions who have very different philosophies and very different thought patterns. And yet we'd all come together and, you know, eat meals around the table or celebrate the festival of whoever it happened to be, but as a together and a collective. Mm-hmm. So I think that diversity, that understanding of different cultures, the understanding of different points of view, and that there's no one correct way. You know, we're never any of us going to be the ultimate authority on anything because someone else is going to have a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And it depends. It's a combination of your upbringing. It's a combination of your influences, what you read, what you hear, the way, you know, um, people, the narrative in your own home. Um, So I think that has stood me in really good stead. And then when I go to London and I have a very different experience of the people I meet and then I come to Dubai and Dubai is, again, very similar to where I grew up. It's a cultural melting pot. But all of those um, sort of opportunities for growth, opportunities for learning that I absorbed growing up has helped me become the person I am that I can sit here and I can be super comfortable talking to you, you know, across the other side of the world, as I am to talking to my neighbor who might be from a very different part of the world to me. Um, Mm -hmm. It's made me appreciate the sameness of us as people and human beings and sort of not focus so much on the differences based Mm -hmm. on cultural differences. Um, So that that India definitely gave me. Um, London gave me my corporate culture. Um, it Did gave you move me back to my, London? Um, so I was in London from when I was 18. Um, and I lived there till 2001 working in, I started my career in finance in London. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Okay. So London, London gave me my corporate culture, if you like. Um mm-hmm. And I was talking to my team and at my team meetings and I was talking about the quality of a handshake. You can tell a lot of about a person by the quality of the handshake. And it's something I've learned as part of my corporate life. And, you know, I don't understand people who give the tips of their fingers for a handshake. It's <laughs> like, for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not a handshake. <laughs> um, 
And just little things like the first bank I worked at, the chairman had this policy about you have to pick the phone up because at that time your customers came to you via the phone. So the phone had to be picked up within three rings because that could be a customer and that would be business. Um, mm-hmm. And even today, if I hear a phone ringing, it has to get picked up. I'm like three rings, the phone has to be picked up. Um, there's so many things that you learn and you pick up through your life, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, biggest lessons, life lessons, you know, have come through my family, if you like, about resilience or learning to be independent. I think financial independence was something that very early on I understood was very important. To have a voice, to be able to live your life on your own terms, you need to be able to support yourself. So I think financial independence was something that I learned um, And given the role the parental figures played in my life or the male parental figures played in my life and the absence of them, I think early on again, I learned Um, Mm self-sufficiency. And then when I moved to London when I was 18 and I was on my own, I learned that as well. And then you learn through loss and loss of loved ones, grief and how to navigate grief and how to overcome it and allow it to not take you somewhere that makes you bitter, but helps you evolve through it to the point where you can look at another person who might also be suffering and empathize with their grief and understand where they're coming from. Um, So I think it's just, there's so many different influences and I can take that question to so many different levels (laughs) in terms of what one's left. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, you just keep building on it. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Um, okay. And so now let's go over the traumatic experience of when you found out that your mother was shot. Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of a memory that gets ingrained and no matter how many years go by or how you've moved past it or through it, um, you don't forget certain pivotal moments in your life. And that's probably one of the most pivotal moments in my life. Um, So I was in Dubai and my mother was back in our hometown and I got a phone call in the middle of the night um, and it was my stepdad. And given our relationship, typically he wouldn't be the one to call me. It would be my mother. Um, But it was the middle of the night. I was groggy. I probably didn't even pick up on the fact that it was my stepdad calling And he just told me my mother had been shot and I had to get home as soon as I possibly could. Um, My husband at the time, now my ex-husband, he was traveling for work. So I had to wait for him to come home. I had to call him. He had to book a flight to come back so he could be with my children who were quite young at the time. So I could then leave to get to India. Um, And all of this in less than 24 hours, all of this was mobilized. Um, so it was it was one of those days that um, it's as if it was yesterday. Hmm. Okay. And then what happened um, after you found out, you know, the, the news? Did you go to India? Like, what was the process after that? So I left for India the very next day. And through the day, while I was waiting for my ex-husband to come back, people were calling me um, because no one expected my mother to survive. And you might say not very many people do survive a gunshot. Um, But I I arrived in India later that 
next day because I had got the call in the middle of the night and went to the hospital and mom was mom had been airlifted from our hometown to Delhi which is the capital of India where there were better facilities and she was in the intensive care unit and there were all these machines she was strapped up to because the bullet had caused quite a bit of physical damage to her internally and externally. Um, and for the first few days, she wasn't coherent. And then she started coming to, um, and we started talking. She survived the wound for 25 days before she eventually passed away from internal bleeding. Wow. And do you, was there like a, understanding why she got shot like was it a robbery or it was um she interrupted some young youths who um at the time she probably didn't know and in hindsight that's what the conjecture is in the police statements are that they were drinking or using substances and they behaved in a manner that wasn't appropriate and she called them out on it um and asked them to apologize um, for their behavior and there were four of them three did the fourth one kind of refused to and she threatened to call the police and when she threatened to call the police they ran off and then the young gentleman who hadn't um, apologized turned around came back apologized but then pulled out a gun and shot her at close range oh wow yeah, that's very unfortunate to hear okay and then um and i know that was a emotional time for you and so what tools did you pick up or did you use to help you get over that not to say that you could really get over it but it's you know what did you use to help you get through so i think initially um i didn't have the tools or i didn't really know what to do so Eventually, when I came back to Dubai, you tried to carry on as best you can and as normal, you know, life as if life is normal, you try and carry on with your normal days. But you find these sort of waves of grief that are quite crippling. You know, at times it's just immobilizing. And um, I was recommended to go for grief therapy, which I did. So I started seeing a counselor to talk through the emotions, to she helped me journal, to process, to, you know, talk it through. Um, and to say anything that I might have wanted to say to my mother that I perhaps didn't get a chance to say. Um, I started, yoga has always been something that, or any physical activity has been something that I've always practiced, and yoga became a bigger practice and more important. I'd find the minute I could step onto the mat, it was a safe space. It was a space where I could let the emotions flow, and as your body's flowing and as your body's moving, it's allowing the emotions to flow through your body as well. So it's not stagnating and it's not, you know, um, gathering in any particular part and it allows your mind to also get a little free and to allow the thoughts to pass through and you observe rather than getting caught up in them. And your body gets a bit stronger through the physical practice and you find you can find the same balance that you exhibit in a physical pose in your mental um, state as well. And then food. My mother was a foodie. My grandmother was a great cook. I bake a lot and I would bake a lot. Um, and someone mentioned to me on one of the podcasts that there are nerve endings in your hand. And they say that if you work with your hand, it helps you process and release emotions as well. So people turn to gardening or painting. You know, I turned to baking. 
Um, and it's not so much that I needed to eat, but it was I needed to create. So it was the process of creating something that I could then share with people um, and they would enjoy what they were eating or the smell would fill the house or the kitchen. Um, and it just, it was that little bit of happiness or a little bit of joy or even satisfaction from the creation mm -hmm. in the in the journey of um, grieving for my mother. Wow. That's amazing to hear because I often hear, well, I know it's true, but you can kind of tell someone is stressed out by just reading their body language. And if they're hovered over like this or their eyes, you know, the eyes uh, are a window to a soul. So you could like look at somebody yeah. in their eyes and kind of tell where they're at. And it's, it's pretty amazing because I remember someone looking me in my eyes from afar and he was just like, man, you look exhausted. And I'm like, really? Like how? I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm exuding that type of energy, mm -hmm. you know? And then I often feel like the people, like say I, I would walk past a yoga studio on my way to the gym and the people that come out of the studio, they look, you know, younger, they're moving better. They look happier. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's quite a contrast to, um, to see, you know? So I do suggest people get into physical activity, but I did not know that the nerve endings in your hand help release it as well. That's a, that's a pretty yeah, interesting Yeah, well, thing. I learned that as well. Yeah, and I, and it's quite accurate if you think about it. Um, I mean, I hadn't thought of it in that context till I was mm -hmm. uh, told, but it does definitely feel very true um, because the more my mind is sort of in turmoil, the more I find the need to go and create and work with my hands um, or get to yoga or the gym. I, I do both and I definitely echo what you say. I think physical activity is definitely something I would encourage people to take up whatever, you know, whether it's swimming or walking or whether you like lifting weights or you want to go to a yoga studio, whatever um, um, works for you. Right, right. And so... um is there anything else you would like to tell people or something that you've learned along the way to help another person get over tragedy or, you know, tragic events so they could find themselves and be able to walk in the world, you know, with light? So I think similar to when we were talking earlier, I think when someone's in encountered tragedy, mm -hmm. um, Yes, obviously, it's going to be the worst thing that's happened to them. But I think it would be helpful to know that they're not alone. You know, other people have also experienced different forms, different types. But all of us will experience some sort of grief, some sort of tragedy, some sort of heartache at some point in our lives, right? Um, and we can all help each other along the way. Um, I think time is a great healer. People say that all the time to you, you know. Um, but it is true. And it's not so much that the memory of the person goes or the memory of the tragedy may sort of get a bit softer and it's not as emotionally charged. But what you then remember is you remember the individual as a whole. You don't just remember the way they went or the tragedy that occurred that caused them to no longer be with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what you're left with is the legacy of the person. So whether my mom's legacy was, she was this very big, vibrant character, it was to be yourself, you know, to not conform to 
not be afraid to stand up for what you believe is correct or not be afraid to challenge if you see someone you know behaving incorrectly even if it might come at great personal cost um to find humor in you know uh, difficult situations to embrace the diversity of humankind that's the legacy um that i want to remember and take from her lifetime mm-hmm. um and also to allow the grief to flow to not try and stem it because it has to move through us and to not stay in the shadows if you like and to not get bitter with it but to use it to move forward to find the strength that is in all of us is just may not be utilized or may not be called upon but if it's called upon then you use it and you come through it stronger um and you know that if you could survive that then you know you can take on uh most other ordinary challenges if you like so speaking of challenges also know that you there's a motto where you say we often choose our lives for the lessons that we will learn right and i've all i've i've heard it before but i've also read that you thought like why would i choose a life where my father would abandon me, my stepfather reject me, and my mom was shot, you know? And so, like, you feel like, well, I just want to go over, like, how did that just come about? Because you're right, like, why would someone choose that? That's traumatic. Why would we say, why would we, you know, wherever we're at before we're born, why would we pick that type of life? Because we're bonkers. That's my only explanation. <laughs> um, so my mom used to say to me, "You choose the life for the lessons you learn." Or so mom was very spiritual, and she would believe in soul families and you know soul contracts, and that they're these sort of tribes that figure out, okay, in this lifetime, I'm going to play this role, and you're going to be this you know relationship to me, and we're going to teach each other a particular lesson. Um, but it wasn't so much that if i was going through something and i would ever say anything to mom she would say just remember you chose this and i'm like i'm really sure i did not you know um as a young teenager or a young adult but as you grow older you find that if i think about for me to be sitting here talking to you right or where i am at today i've had to go through a fairly horrific challenge to learn from to grow from to be able to articulate to be able to put out to be able to then talk about it and each of that has been a learning journey that has somehow um if you like added to the person that I was at the core of me but I have added skills and learned certain things that I might not have ever learned or ever needed to learn otherwise mm-hmm. um you know if for example not having a father figure in my life has meant that i've had to be a little bit stronger a little more self-reliant a little more um savvy and know how to uh look after myself then those are skills that i might not have learned had i had a different childhood and a different upbringing um you know my life in india gave me the awareness and the appreciation of the differences in religions and cultures which i might not have learned had i grown up somewhere else or chose a different life so i can mm-hmm. see how um there is truth in that statement that to be the people we are we've had to go through certain life experiences and we must have 
according to my mom's theory, chosen them um, because there's no such thing as a coincidence and life isn't very ad hoc, right? right? It's kind of, there's a design to it um, and a rhythm to it. So whilst I'm sure in my right mind, I would not have chosen these particular lessons, but as it turns out, these are the lessons I've had to learn from and these are the lessons I have had to overcome and grow from. So um, this is the life that we have. And this is what we make of it. Right. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting because I, I feel the same way. I'm like, why would I? But then when you think about it, if you went through something and you overcame it and other people are going through the same thing and they look at you, you're a beacon of hope for them. So there's a, I'm not saying a lot of people went through, you went through, but say if there's similar, similar situations that people go through and they look at you and they see how happy you are, you wrote a book, you work out, you do yoga, you do baking, you have pictures of yourself smiling. It's a testament to others that, Hey, you could get through this too. You could overcome as well because there's, you know, there's different paths for things like you know that happen to you happen to other people in the same fashion and their life is just in turmoil they may fall victim to drugs promiscuity and you know just an awful awful life you know so when people it's it's kind of like wow but then i also can appreciate someone like you uh writing a book going on interviews because with you doing that you have we really can't quantify how many lives we're going to affect by us doing the things that we're doing. I'm sure this isn't your main thing. I'm sure you could be doing any, you could be asleep right now. It's 1030 where you're no 11. What is it? 11 where you're at now? 11 <laughs> it's, it's, PM. it's 11, five, five past 11. So right. Right. <laughs> right. 11 on, PM. on a Friday night. <laughs> Come on. You know, true. like, and I, it's 12, it's noon here where I'm at. So it's like, you could say, I'm going to go to sleep, but instead you're doing this podcast that could help reach other individuals that could possibly change someone's life. I hope so. That would be amazing. It means that's the whole point of it, I feel, and that's the whole mm -hmm. purpose of it, right? Um, it's to touch another person. It's to let them know they're not alone and to let them know they can make it through whatever they're going through mm -hmm. um, and come out the other side. Right, right. And when I often hear people tell me not to say, well, sad stories or traumatic events, traumatic stories, I'm just like, wow. And look at you now. Like you could, you know, you could share that with people and give them hope, you know, or give them some light. Like say my friend um, that I mentioned to you, who was a Zoroastrian. Is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Zoroastrian. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's Zoroastrian, right? Mm -hmm. And last night we all met up, like all of the dads met up, and mm -hmm. he is the most positive person in the world. Like he will see my kids, pick them up, smile. They love him. Like he is, I have never seen him down ever. And then last night he told me that he lived in Iran during the Iran and Iraq war, and he just seen some very horrible gruesome things you know and I, it just it was just amazing to me i was like you were there since you were 10 he was like yeah and at 10 years old you know what's going on you know it's not like yeah. you know that's not like an age where things are like pretty forgettable like you're you're noticing some traumatic things and for him to you know just witness that and then be the person that he is today 
is a big testament to me. Uh, he didn't really want to go into it and talk about it, but I was just like, wow, man, like that is, that's pretty impressive. Me seeing the person that you are now. Very impressive. So it's almost like it's a counter to all the negativity he's seen. He wants to stay positive and rise above it. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that's a great, that's a great skill. And it's not always that it comes naturally that you feel all upbeat and joyful every morning that you wake up. But if you make a choice right. um, that you're going to look at the good things in life and you're going to be grateful for all that's good around you because you know that there are times when it's not all great um, and be grateful for the little things and the big things and whatever goes well in your life, mm. then that's a good day. Yeah. Yeah. And that word choice we have to that's yeah. not that's not a small thing that's not a small feat like we have a choice yeah. to feel happy we have a choice to feel sad and i'm to a point myself in my life where if i even feel a negative thought i'm snapping myself out of it like you're choosing to dwell on this you don't have to get out of it you know and it's, a, it's just a practice that i'm i'm like utilizing the power of choice more now than ever has been like a big thing for me because like you said, I'm sure like... It's just a conscious, yeah, yeah. it's a conscious choice to mm -hmm. say that you'd rather look at the good than the bad right. and you'd rather be positive than negative. Um, there's always going to be something that's not great, but if you can look at all that's good, then on balance, it's a good day. Right, exactly. And so is there anything in closing that you would like to share? Like say when you do leave this earth, go to a higher plane or wherever you think you're going. Um, how would you want to be remembered? You know, like just give us, give us some, some wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll leave you with something my colleagues used to say, or said that should go on my headstone. They were like, she gets stuff done. But the word wasn't stuff. It wasn't a polite word. She gets, you know, yeah. <laughs> it starts with an S and ends with a T done. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of, I think that's how I'd like to be remembered that I was. I think each individual, you have energy inside of you. And if you believe in the power of your thoughts and you believe in the power of your will and the power of your energy and you can make things happen. Um, so harness that energy inside of you and make things happen for yourself make good things happen for yourself right great and how would you like to be remembered um as someone who was considerate and kind compassionate funny um a good friend um a loyal friend and um uh, in every other relationship you know like a good mom, I hope, though my kids will probably tell you different at some point, I'm sure, when they're not so happy with me. Um, and I think just above all, kind. I think kind and loyal and someone who behaved with integrity and acted with integrity. That would make me happy. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And so where can people find you? I know uh, Farah, F-A-R-A-H, press.com. Um, do you have anywhere okay. else where you like for people to find you? Um, Instagram, fara.press. They can come and follow us and be part of the journey, see what we're up to. Um, hopefully we'll post on the podcast as well. 
Um, and on the website, there are links to the podcast. I've been on, they can listen. They've, there's a link to get the book if they'd like to read it. Mm-hmm. Love to hear their feedback and read their reviews um, and hope the story resonates and hope it touches people and they enjoy the read. Right. And one thing I would like to know, Sal, your mother was very, very beautiful. Oh, my God. She was. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She was known. Oh, she my known goodness. Yeah, you have a, your mother was very beautiful. I saw your book cover. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. that smile is just everything, I think. Right, right. Like a very radiant, like you could just feel the energy from the picture. Like, wow. But beauty is more than just yeah. looks. It's like it's it's energy to me now. Like you could just feel it, you know. Correct. So I could kind of see, you know, I could I kind of understand a lot more now. But by just seeing that, you know, yeah. So okay, fair. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. Thank you for actually making Not it. Sure. I know it was a task for you. So you know, I appreciate anyone that takes Not time sure. out of their day for the Militant Grind podcast. You know, it means a lot. Thank you. Enjoy talking to you. Likewise. All right. So I'll catch you later. Cheers. Take care.